Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Colette Bennett and I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know, we have three types of podcasts. We have our 10-minute lesson series, which is a very brief introduction into some important policy areas. We have our seminar series, which is a look back at our conferences and our seminars and important presentations that were made there. And then we have our interview series. And this week's interview is one of those. I'm speaking with Tim Hanley, General Manager of the HSE's National Safeguarding Office. The 19th of November this year was the very first National Adult Safeguarding Day. This is a longer podcast than usual. It's about an hour long but it is well worth a listen. What Tim has to say is incredibly important, incredibly insightful. And as Ireland has an aging population and an older, longer living population, it's really important because it will affect all of us. I hope you enjoy it. So Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Colette, delighted to be um, invited to this podcast with Social Justice Ireland. Um, so I just, I suppose we'll dive straight into it. Um, can you tell us a bit about the establishment of the National Safeguarding Office, so when it was established and, and why there was a need for this specifically? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of the history. Um, and I suppose I put it into the context of the time, which was only six years ago. Um, 2015, um, the HC established what the office I, I, I'm general manager of, the, the, the National Safeguarding Office. At the time, there was a period of quite substantial service improvement and reform. Um, one of the major catalysts was the investigation into Arsatracta. And we'd known for some time that we needed to improve our safeguarding practices, our safeguarding procedures. And I suppose that what that programme highlighted was the urgency uh, as, as a major provider and commissioner of services that we had to have a strong and robust safeguarding policy. Uh, and a number of other uh, improvements, etc., happened. Like, for example, people might be familiar with LEGAT, the LEAD's confidential recipient, and people can come directly to LEAD. Uh, and, and of course, things that have been ongoing anyway, such as decongregation, which is the people moving, thousands of people that were living in, in long-stay campuses for people with intellectual disability. But coming to our office, there was a need for a singular safeguarding, adult safeguarding policy for what was called the social care sector, older persons and disabilities. And elder, elder services had, for about five or six years previously, had an elder abuse policy and an elder abuse service. But there was no integrated singular uh, policy for disabilities, although individual services and individual organisations had some very good policies, but there was no national one. So that policy was developed quite rapidly um, and a national office started to lead a consistent implementation. So our office was asked to lead on the training, the education for the policy, to see that areas were supported in implementing it and around their compliance, um, you know, to, I suppose, to check that we had the data as well, that, that it was being uh, implemented adequately and, and fully across social care and that we had the training infrastructure. So we, we, we've been going on that basis for about five or six years. We, we, we've, we've developed and expanded into other areas and, and, and you've just seen the uh, first National Adult Safeguarding Day. We would have supported the setting up of an intersectoral organisation at the time was known as the National Safeguarding Committee because one of the things was very apparent and we knew this even before our office was set up that you know no one sector can do adult safeguarding on its own. Health uh, relies on justice, it relies on the NGOs, it relies on the community, it relies on friends, neighbours and families. So while health has a responsibility, we are the, 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 the organisation, so we would have nine community healthcare areas around the country, and each of those have a safeguarding team made up of social workers, and they would receive in the complaints or the allegations or the concerns of abuse or neglect, and as well as oversighting what's happening in the residential centres. But we knew that we couldn't do it on our own. It's just not possible. So we set up nine regional committees and a national committee. 
and that it would be intersectoral. So to involve, you know, we need we need the, the financial sector, we need the justice sector. You, you know, in a way, and you, know, you know this through socialist learning, this is a this is a human rights issue. This is a justice issue. You know, you know, it's often framed as a health issue. And and for a lot of the time, people will see it through the lens of older persons, people with intellectual disabilities, people with mental health problems can be more vulnerable to abuse. However, if you start from the point of view as how do we ensure people's human rights are protected and that we have a, a human rights-based informed system of care? You're actually starting from a much stronger position of, 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 of kind of preventing abuse, preventing things such as institutional abuse practices arising in the first place. Because if our, if our values and our actions and if our approaches uh, are right, then you know uh, things like neglect or institutional abuse are less likely to happen. So our office has been on the go now for six years. Um, we're a small office. We've got six staff, and uh, uh, we are in the health services. There's been a lot of change and reform over that six years. The Department of Health have led a review. We've had a review of our own policy. Uh, we hope to strengthen it and expand it out into other healthcare areas. Um, we've certainly said, and others have said, that actually it's a whole of government approach. Adult safeguarding is not is not just health. It's not just the the, the, the medical services, the social care services. Actually, you know, the banks, the, the the financial institutions, the the you know the justice institutions, people's access to to justice uh, and all of that. So you know, um, there's a long road to go, Colette. Um, you know, we, we're we're one part of. In the health service, but we hopefully working with our partners can advance that. So, so that's that's a bit of what we are and what we've done um, over the last five or six years. And can I ask you? You mentioned Boris Attractive. So, people people who who don't know that was a residential facility back yeah, in May, yeah. although there was found to be elder abuse. Uh, yeah, there. yeah, and it, it was a HSC run facility, is that? Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, the, 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 I mean, if you go back over time, you could actually track. I mean, prior to that, we had Lee's Cross, which was a, a nursing home where significant abuse and, 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 and institutional abuse. With 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 Oris Attractor, what what that program showed was people's lives. Uh, uh, you know, they weren't valued. I mean, that, I mean, it's interesting, actually, our attractors, I've gone back to read the reports recently for another reason, but actually what the residents said, there was 92 people there, and they've been there for maybe 20 odd years. And what the residents, when they were asked, and I saw them needed help and assistance to, to, to say, well, they, they, they talked about their lives not being valued and being bored and not having, living socially valued lives. Interestingly, what we saw in the program was those images of physical abuse and neglect. When the residents very much said some of the staff were quite kind to them and supported them, it wasn't all of the staff. So it was really, really quite interesting. Was about that, and that echoed what my point about um, uh, decongregation and institutionalization. That we can a lot of the residents that were in our tractor had moved from other long stay hospitals. So we and and if you look go back at the time in the eighties, that was seen as the kind of the new progressive kind of campuses that we we, we you know the big Victorian buildings we'll move them in these campuses. But you can equally replicate that type of institutionalization anywhere. I mean, you could do it in a small bungalow here in a you know in a rural part of Ireland. So what it said is was it's how we we saw the people being valued, their lives being valued, but also engaging with them to actually find out you know. Is your life meaningful? Is your life engaged? So, um, and boredom was a huge part of their lives. So, um, but yeah, th that was a particular catalyst for change. Um, a lot of organizations and services and voluntary organizations and professional bodies had, had, had saw change uh, right up to saying we needed legislative change. But I think, as you know, in Ireland, and you, you'd be very much the four in this social justice, often reform comes out of failure. And, and, and that is a trigger. But actually, there was well-informed views that we needed more progressive, consistent safeguarding policy. We needed joined up um, uh, uh, programs. We also needed to be underpinned by legislation. I mean, there's echoes there. People will be familiar with, with child protection, you know, with, with the Kilkenny incest case and other, other uh, West of Ireland farmer case. It actually took... Uh, you know, things that have gone wrong. I mean, the, the 1991 Child Care Act replaced the 1908 Children Act. So, so you know, reform in Ireland can happen slowly. Uh, but we've actually shown through COVID 
that when the urgency is there, it can happen quite quickly. So, um, yeah, it happened out, out of that context. But I think it was a journey that was going to happen anyway. But it brought it to the fore and it created a sense of, of, of urgency. And rightly so in, in, in many ways. You know, sometimes when you do things quickly as well, then you have to go back and say, well, you know, was our policy working well? Was our system working well? That's something we, we, we looked at when we, we reviewed our working policy because we were quite procedural driven. Uh, and now the kind of international thinking is what's the outcome for the person? What's the outcome that they would want? You know, what, what was the person themselves feel safe rather than focusing on the procedural system? So, yeah, you're right to point out that was a, there was a very significant moment in uh, 2014, the end of 14, um, when that uh, was, was, was highlighted by, by prime time. And you mentioned there that, you know, even around that time and before that time, there were um, organisations that had adult safeguarding policies or had, a, a, you know, adult abuse policies or, you know, something within that that they themselves put together. Um, but it wouldn't have been necessarily like the, the child protection guidelines, for example, that are, you know, they're, they're coming out of statute and they are everywhere. Um, yeah. You know, do you think that what was there before you know, was a good template for what was what what we now have or what what's improving. Um, I I think some organisations have really good policies. As you rightly point out, if they're not national led and are required to an acquired national standard, you know, they they, they, they can be champions locally. Some services, but unless all organisations respond consistently, and like so, for example, in, a re, in recent years, we've seen Mental Health Commission and HICWA published national standards on safeguarding. So that's kind of said now, what, what, what's good governance? What's good, you know, HR systems? What's good staff supervisory systems? So, so that you mean ensuring that, and it's based on a human rights-based approach around economy and choice and people having respect for people. So you, you need to have a consistent level of expectation right around the country. So, so there's not by one organization in one county doing something really good and another, another not. You know, and, and and that was something that, you know, the likes of the, the HICWA would have, would have highlighted professional bodies like the Irish Association, social workers would have highlighted that it needed a consistent policy. And also now we're highlighting that it needs to be underpinned by legislation. So you talked there about, about children first and child protection. That is underpinned by a legislative basis. Uh, we don't have that in adult safeguard. Now, it is complex in adult safeguard because of the issue of consent and autonomy with, with, with children, you know, it, 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 you don't have some of those dilemmas. We have to find ways through some of those dilemmas um, for a statutory basis. So it, it does impede the work that social workers and others do, social care workers, nurses, a variety of healthcare professionals, social care professionals in this area. Um, that, 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 you know, we have a policy. But it's only a policy. I mean, you know, there's no um, legislative basis to it. Now, in fairness, HICWA has a, a legislative basis to the work they do around inspection and regulation. But that's only one element of it, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, services were certainly trying. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's wider than the safeguarding policy because it's it's about as I said, things like decongregation, more personalised care services, more person-centred care services. So that journey was going on anyway, and the conversations around people living socially valued lives was also happening. Um, but it's kind of driving it, keeping it going. And, uh, you know, you need a whole range of things to be in place to prevent abuse and neglect in the first place, you know, because often people focus in on what happens after an abuse case gets notified and then the whole assessment and the whole procedure but actually I pull it back before that what what are the building blocks what's the scaffolding you need to to try and ensure as best as possible uh, that that abusive situations either be in family homes be in their communities or be it in institutions or residential service it can happen anywhere I mean it, it's 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 um, so yeah yeah no no it's, it's a really good question that Colette. And you mentioned as well, you know, at the, the very beginning that, yes, it's under the HSC, but safeguarding yeah. isn't just about health. And when you look at the, the report that came out a couple of weeks ago, you see the types of abuse that's reported into to your teams. Um, you know, it, it covers the physical, it covers mental, it covers financial. Um, and these these are areas that are governed by by legislation. They There are, you know, there, there are, are 
um, reports you can make to the guards in relation to, to quite a lot of this. But it is that, as you say, that combining it, that kind of umbrella for it. Um, just, I suppose, talking about the, the types of reporting, um, can you bring us through a bit of the, I suppose, the profile of the types of cases that come through, sure. the types yeah. of reports yeah. and, and the issues and any patterns, I suppose, that you might see? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 like we we have different categories of abuse. So we we we'd have physical, sexual, psychological, financial, neglect, discriminatory, institutional um, abuse. Now we reviewed. We actually started to look at things like modern slavery uh, or um, online abuse. So there's a lot of new thinking coming out around internationally. But if we look at the kind of categories, what what's interesting, we found. For, see, if you take just take financial abuse. We, we would say, and this is borne out by studies we did with UCD and other organisations, there's quite substantial and significant underreporting of, of, of financial abuse. So, you know, um, uh, uh, in, 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 in that, the, the, the level and extent, so like, we, we'd probably get 1,200 reports of financial abuse per annum, and, and significantly people, as they age, are more likely to be financially abused. It's interestingly, that that so the dynamic of abuse changes uh, um, as 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 people are so, so can neglect and financial abuse can become more, whereas the, the psychological abuse mightn't be as prevalent as as, as 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 people go over eighty. So we know that older people are particularly uh, susceptible to financial abuse, and we've seen changes in that as well. So we think areas like online scams and you know, financial frauds, etc. cetera. Uh, uh, but, but the reason why I'm saying about financial abuse and the reason why, why it's so significant is the health sector, actually, uh, we're responding to it, but you actually see where a lot of it happens. It can be family members exploiting others in terms of, of, of property, of, of handing over property, and right down to, like, access to people's pensions, their disability allowance, and then right up to, to institutional abuse where people haven't access to their funds when they're in uh, or, or, or they didn't, weren't involved in decisions around how their money was, was being administered. So we know by international standards we should be seeing a lot more uh, reports of it. One of the challenges, though, on the financial abuse is that people are often reluctant, they're embarrassed. It could be a family member, could be a neighbour, could be a trusted uh accountant <laughs> it can be all sorts of people you know so and sometimes people don't recognize it as financial abuse so for example we use the term of entitlement and that is an interesting term and i and i was i was on a conference recently with uh, with canada a uh, uh, professor from from toronto and uh, someone from the us and i was asking was this a, a, a uniquely irish thing so what i mean by entitlement was well 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 sure i'm going to get the money anyway when you die or sure like you know why wouldn't i take 20 quid when i do the shop i'm sure i'm entitled to it that sense of i'm entitled to your house i'm entitled to your pension um without the person's permission or the freely given given it um, so and then other some older people haven't actually recognized that as abusive uh, and 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 then there's there's barriers to it being reported so so for example we often find these people say i want that to stop but i don't want the person to be in trouble so like i always always struck about the case of a gentleman i, I remember many years ago said to me um who light my fire oh, you know, light your fire he says if 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 so and so doesn't who was, you know the agents arrangements common cash and um, pension. If if he gets into trouble with the guards, who who's going to come in and light my fire for me? So he's kind of struck that that he wanted the relationship, but he wanted his money to be protected as well, but he didn't want that person to stop visiting him. So so very often we find that, and there's a little bit about you know I don't want my daughter getting into trouble or my son getting into trouble. Um, you know, oh, they've got an issue around maybe challenging their own lives with, with gambling or some addiction issue, and and they've 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 had a, a, you know a, a vulnerability in th themselves in that regard, and 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 they've taken money from a pension that they weren't entitled to or they weren't given permission to. So they, you know, they're they're mindful. Oh God, they've had a lot of personal problems. I don't want to see them getting in trouble with the guards. So um, so we have underreporting of financial abuse. I mean, interestingly, other areas, and, and we just take, we, we get small numbers of reports of sexual abuse of older people. 
we do know that's just you know it's 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 only small uh, single figure percentages and i sometimes call it the final taboo in that you know i remember being back in college i, I somehow think it was a million years ago in the early 80s in, in in ucc when we had the discovery of child sexual abuse child sexual abuse had been there for millenniums you know but but in ireland we were only having that discussion uh, about it and 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 uh, it's it's a very difficult conversation that older people have been subjected to sexual abuse um so there are a lot of barriers there around um you know come back to the financial abuse sometimes it may be easier when it's someone not related to say oh is that person over there so you know and 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 you know where where families are involved it can it can be difficult i mean there are some challenges as well you need to issue of institutional abuse which again um we we maybe get two or three maybe 200 reports a year it is a difficult thing to sometimes recognize and report on you know so like if i saw someone being assaulted it's very clear you know that person harmed that person that wasn't okay i'm going to report that and i'm going to tell the guard so it's kind of visible it's an incident it's clear if I come and work and I'm a young nurse or I'm a young care staff member or I'm a cook or I'm a chef, you know, that's the way we do business around here. Uh, oh, no, we you know the residents go to bed at a certain night, and, you know, or, or, you know, we go for our tea break. He can wait for be brought down, whatever he wants to do. So that kind of, you know, institutionalization of maybe systems or services um, and it could be even wider about how we organize our services, not just individual staff. You know, it goes up, institutional abuse can happen at every level, right up to the top management level, right down to the staff on the ground. So it can happen at any, I'm not saying it can happen at any level, but sometimes recognizing it. And that's why education and, and, and training are right important. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there is, the, the other one that I suppose that is interesting is neglect. And we get in a, um, you know about over a thousand reports of neglect a year, and it's an interesting one as well because, you know, you might have a different value judgment to me, Colette, about what I might see as neglect. You know, like the oh well, you know, how long would you person? You know, the the, the one we did on the which, which which was a very interesting one was with, the one with um, Safeguard in Ireland was you know I, well I only locked them in for five minutes when I went to the shop. You know, and it's, it was more to generate a conversation about someone with dementia where, you know, well, I, I couldn't leave them and, you know, only left them for 10 minutes. And, you know, that, you know, and it was as much to generate a conversation rather than weren't there to blame carers in any way that, you know, carers do a fantastic, wonderful job. But it really was to kind of start that debate about could I recognize something? I mean, what would be? And, and part of it, I think, is us having those conversations. And if you look at it, I think, Say, say the way we've opened up about mental health in Ireland and we've had conversations about it and, you know, we've had sports people, politicians, we've had business leaders who've come out and said, I've had a mental health issue in my life. Here's how, I think we need some of that conversation as well. Um, so one of the things that Safeguard in Ireland do is, you know, this bit about plan ahead, think ahead, have those conversations with your family. And there's sometimes awkward conversations because, you might need to say, well, is that okay? You know, I mean, should we believe in dad like that? Is that, you know, or, or have we thought, have I thought about when I lose mental capacity, what I'm going to do? And I could take steps today. And that was one of the big campaigns with Safeguard. And it was plan ahead, think ahead, you know, plan for your future. And I know the hospice movement have been very strong in that because we've seen that in, in the, the nine safeguarding teams is the tragedy of where someone has lost, decision-making capacity maybe around their management or their finances, their management or medication, their care choices. And then you have family members in dispute. And, and you know, this is not, oh, mum wouldn't have wanted this, dad wouldn't have wanted that. Whereas if they had planned ahead and had had uh, advanced healthcare directive, now we're seeing a lot of reform with the advancement of assisted decision-making and advanced healthcare directives. We are moving in that way. But if you look at like, say, Scotland, um, you know, they've, way higher numbers of uh, powers of attorney and uh, advanced healthcare directors. So, but what I'm saying here is there's a bit of a, this was an interesting theme. I don't know, did you see our recent webinar we did on um, as part of Adult Safeguarding Day, which comes first is the culture of legislation. And a lot of people said, well, if you have the legislation, sometimes that shapes culture, you know? So it's, it's, it's both. I, I, I think 
part of the reform in Ireland is the legislation, but part of the change is about having, and you know, the, the likes of this podcast and others, opening up those conversations in communities and families. They're not easy. I mean, you know, the whole issue about inheritance and, you know, it was mine anyway, and I'm entitled to it. And, you know, that, that, that can be hard. They can be strange and, and awkward conversations with families. But even that bit about, you know, reluctance culturally to plan our head for our own health, for our own healthcare needs, that needs to change. And I said, you know, even different conversations that sexual abuse of older people is present in Ireland. It is, is a reality. It can happen in residential care. It can happen in family homes. Um, so, you know, um, but I always come back to what can we do to prevent it? And a part of prevention is having discussions and all that. So, you know, the figures give part of the story, but they're actually only what comes into the HSE. There's a much bigger story there. So, they, you know, if we get in 10,000 reports a year, you know, 10,000 people's lives, you know, who are these people and what kind of lives have they? But I'm also interested in who are the other thousands out there that we don't know about. You know, um, you know, take one very important area is, uh, is uh, you know, with state pensions, for example, the 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 um, uh, the, the, the uh, contributing pension. You know, how is that? You know, you know, are people collecting that properly, and you know, is somebody else getting it for someone who's lost decision making capacity? So, so there's huge safeguards that we need to look at. And in fairness, now I must say, the Banking Federation and, and, and the likes of the credit unions and MABs and others have been really to the fore there. I mean, that's one of the, I think, real successive safeguards in Ireland. It's brought sectors like the financial sector and, 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 and the health sector to look at this jointly. We've done some joint training with them, but we do need that legislative piece. We need that infrastructure there. And much and all, we can be progressive in the health sector and they can be progressive in, 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 in the finance sector, but you know, it does need a, a legislative basis. So, so there's a long-winded account of what's behind the figures there, Colette. I think I suppose, and, and thank you for that. I mean, it, it raised loads of things. I was furiously scribbling notes, as you could probably see. Um, but there's a, there's a couple of things, I suppose. You know, you do have that differentiation between age groups. So, yes, you know, even yeah. looking at the most recent report, those under 65, so 64, you know, down to 18, yeah. um, they're the alleged perpetrators are more likely to be service users or peers then family or friends. Then when you go 65 plus, it's much more likely to be family and friends. And that, as you say, could be more to do with the, the type of abuse. So, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's more about the financial aspect or it's about the, the home or the neglect. Um, and I just, I, I find that quite frightening, but I kind of, I find yeah. it quite interesting as well in that, yeah, I, I, you know. Give a little when, context on that, Colette, um, which um, if you want the picture behind some of that figure. So if you look at the under 65s, I, I mentioned the policy. One of the core points of the policy, we, we have a, a network of designated officers. So if you look at in the residential services, no, not like there are people who are aging in residential care, and rightly so, they should, it's their home, their place of art. But they, there's quite a well-developed system of notification and for example, where something is observed of a physical abuse or physical interactions is a concern. Remember, we, we have a policy that says everything should be notified if, if you're concerned. That's a safeguarding concern. So, so, you know, thankfully, the majority of our older people live at home. They live with their families or they live on their own. So we, we don't have that systematic way of, 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 of notification. Uh, uh, but it, it, it's there. So we would see you know, levels of reporting from our residential and our service settings. But you're right, it's also a phenomenon that the, 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 um, what we do tend to see is as, as, as people age, things like psychological abuse and, and financial abuse and neglect are what, 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 what is seen um, and gets reported. I mean, not to say the physical abuse, and we know this from talking to our partners in domestic violence, it doesn't stop at someone's 65th birthday. It, it, it can continue. The other, the other factor you must remember is that as people age, the abusive partner may die or go into a care situation themselves. So, you know, there can be phenomenals that change. Like, you know, if, you, if you're under 65, the, the, the person who might be the cause of concern might 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 not be there as the person ages up into the you know and and you know we know women live longer than men so there's a whole variety of very interesting factors there 
Interesting one that, one that I always find fascinating is, is there older men over 80. We've seen men can be quite vulnerable over 80 to financial abuse. Now, I think there's a whole doctorate on that as to what the dynamic there is. Why are men, are they seeking friendship? Are they, you know, we, we, have, a, we have a concept called mate crime, which is like, you know, people seeking out friendship, particularly people who are lonely and isolated. And they're very vulnerable then to, you know, giving money to people to keep friendships. Now, not real friendships, but so, you know, that that type of relationship is actually not based on, on you know, the, 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 the often the concept we look at is, is an abuse of trust as the person, you know, doing it because they really genuinely care about that person and their welfare. Or is it because, well, they give me 20 quid, you know, and I can use that for whatever, you know, there, you know, so there's, there is a concept there, but yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. The, the, the differential again, what I would say to you is that's just what gets reported to the HSE. And there is a big debate out there about when safeguarding legislation comes, whether we should have mandatory or permissive reporting. So currently, as you know, in child protection, it's a form of mandatory reporting. And there's still a lot of debate about that. There's an even stronger debate on the adult side because, you know, people's rights to their information, their economy, you know, about, well, I don't want to be reported to the guards or I don't want someone else knowing. So there's, there is that, or I don't want that person getting in trouble. So we, we have a lot of those debates and balancing of rights and all of that. It's not as straightforward as it would be there for children in that, in that it's a clear mandatory requirement. And, and there are consequences and penalties for, 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 for not reporting. Um, so, yeah, and, and different jurisdictions around the world have taken different approaches on it. Um, you know, some, some have gone like, say, permissive reporting certain uh, uh, professionals in, in certain settings are required, but out in the community it's not required. So there's, it depends on the setting. So there's, there's, there is quite a lively debate about what, what shape that might take um, you know, but it's it's it still doesn't get away from the you know that professional responsibility that we all have and that duty of 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 care. Um, it's how it's underpinned is going to be really important. Um, and you mentioned there just because it was something that struck me as you were talking about psychological abuse and obviously physical abuse would, would would factor in as well. And you mentioned it yourself in relation to your partners with um, domestic violence or domestic abuse yeah. organisations. You know, is it a case that there would be some crossover there, or is it quite specifically you would get one type yeah, of I, psychological or violence yeah. and they would get a different type of? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there sometimes we can be signposting people to the right service. So we're not a, per se a domestic violence service, but people can be experiencing violence in their own home and communities, and we need the support. We know some, some some older people have gone to refuges, not 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 you know, uh, uh, and that can be a challenge because maybe the way they're structured for, for terms of older people uh, and and and, and etc. But you know, on the ground, the social workers and the safeguarding teams would link with the domestic violence services. One of the things for our policy is people's capacity to protect themselves. And the reason why we do that is that, you know, there are people like, you know, I always say, well, if someone hit me, I'm straight down the guard station, you know, I know what to do. And so uh, it's where someone, because of an impairment or a cognitive difficulty, um, it is a bit of a debate about why why older, you know, why that magical age of 65, you know, and, and, and we have a few challenges around that. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's that ability to, to take steps to protect themselves. So, you know, it, and, and there are people who have learning disabilities or older people who are experiencing domestic violence and, and they can be going down both paths. They need, they're, they're, they're getting support from a domestic violence service, but also they've been notified to the adult safeguarding team. And sometimes we, we would point people to, to, to the right service. I mean, th there is a very interesting debate at the moment around coercive control yeah. And the legislation around that, but intimate partners and, and, and that needing to be expanded out because it's, 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 it's quite narrow focus at the moment. So it's something we, we, we did a seminar there with um, one of the domestic violence services in the Midwest. And, you know, we looked at that with, with, with some legal people around, is it possible? And I know Safeguard Ireland and others have campaigned for an expansion of that. And, and I can see why, because it's quite limited. It's great that coercive control 
is on the statute book. And one of the things we've always said is allows us to use that language now, allows us to say to somebody, look, your behavior is not only is it wrong and inappropriate, but actually is against the law. You know, you know, this all this, you know, stalking and texting and, and menacing and all that. Sometimes it's very difficult to actually name it as something that was illegal, you know, that, you know, they'd be saying, oh, it's inappropriate. And so we've now seen some of the first prosecutions around that, which is great. So that's really helpful. We might need an expansion of what the, the relationship pieces. So we work with domestic violence. Sometimes, is you know, there is a crossover area and there, as I said, we tend to focus on people who haven't got the capacity to protect, you know, for whatever reason, by by, by impairment or, or frailty or whatever, ha- have a difficulty seeking out and, and need support. Um, and we have been involved, Colette, we, 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 we will go to court and, and seek orders, and we do that um, where necessary. Obviously, the person themselves can get the, the, the protection order and the barring order. It's always much better. But where people need the support of the HSC, we've gone into court and saw the orders and we would have worked with the domestic violence services there. So, you know, obviously people need support. It's, it's one thing getting the protection order. It's another thing being able to act on it when, yeah. when something threatening happens to the person. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 it's, it's um, you know, and, and the, the different parts of the world have, have the debate about the scope of... of adult safeguarding and where it interfaces with, with, with domestic violence. What I would say very much though is, is violence is violence. Violence against anybody is, is an invade, you know, their, their human rights, their, their, their right to be safe. And we know in the UNCPRD, but it's a basic human right. And so try not to get too hung up about boundary issues. Is it mine? Is it yours? And that sometimes see, see, well, what is this? What is this person experiencing here? Um, and it doesn't stop. I mean, it doesn't stop in some 65th birthday. You know, we yeah. we had cases and people in their 80s and 90s experiencing physical um, abuse, which is um, very very difficult. You know, and if some people have had lifelong experiences of it, and uh, you know, it's 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 awful when you see that because you think. Have you endured that for all of these years, um, uh, and and what is that like for you as a person and all that? So, and it can, you know, men can be victims of domestic violence also. I think, you know, you know that, that we know statistically it's far more likely to be a woman, but but men are also um, experiencing uh, violence in their own homes. And I mean, as you say, you know, there can be people living with that for 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah. And it's almost you almost become institutionalized to that, that when someone does pass away, not that you miss the violence, but you miss the person, you miss the presence. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that can be very difficult and very challenging to. It can to be, you know, because it, like what I said about the financial abuse is that, you know, they might be getting something out of the relationship. They don't like the violence or the, or the experiences, but there's something else in that. And, and it could be the present. You know, so, you know, it can be very difficult for somebody to bar someone from a house or move out themselves or take action around that. So, you know, we've often been the mediators or even getting other family members who have a positive relationship with a person of concern to try and impress upon them around changing their behaviour. So, so that's why social workers are very skilled in this area. You know, they, for example, using family meetings, mediation and, 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 you know, that because we have to work with people who have abusive behavior. You just can't ignore them. I mean, they're, they're human beings, too. And you, you need to find the skills to, to and part of that, like, all really, really welcomed coercive control being named as, as a crime in that it allows you now to say, hang on, do you know what you're doing is, is against the law? So I used to be saying that as a social worker. I couldn't say that, you know, you say, well, you know, it's not, it's inappropriate. You can't be shouting like that and threatening, menacing. And I can actually say, no, I'm sorry. No, you know, extreme menacing is, yes. there is, yes. there is legal provision there, but it has to be really threatening, menacing. But uh, I think that's where, like, you know, there's are other social care workers, uh, uh, nurses, et cetera, but social are particularly skilled around that piece of, and also empowering people. To, you know, a lot of the surveys that Safeguard in Ireland have shown is, and interestingly, it's not just older people, some younger people don't recognise that they're in an abusive relationship. And we've seen the out, 
one of that where, where it's been horrendous. I mean, women have been, you know, people have been killed and murdered by, by abusive partners. So, so, you know, it's around other people becoming aware and recognising it and naming it. And, you know, sometimes people who are coercively controlling are extremely clever and, 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 and devious almost to the point of... And very you know, charming. It's almost insidious that, you know, it creeps and creeps and creeps and creeps. Yeah. And um, it can be difficult for other family members to recognise it and, 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 and even work colleagues or neighbours, that, that didn't look right. Why, why is that? And, you know, and, and having the ability to open the conversation with the person and getting them to trust. And that's why, you know, I know from my child protection days and my other protection, who is the person's ally? Who is their trusted person? You know, it could be a healthcare professional, it could be another family member. And even having, we was always take, talk on childcare, who is their one adult that they could trust? That they could build that relationship to that 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 you know and and it can be difficult as people get elderly one of the things we found uh in and i certainly experienced this a lot was that if the coercive person is residing with the person they sometimes exclude other family members or other resources and that can be very difficult i mean one of the reasons in the in the in the debate about safeguarding legislation is is that and it's only rare we would have to use this but but something we don't get into the house and the tenancy could be in the name of the person who is the person of concern, or it could be in the boat or whatever, or even the others. And she can get past the front door. But I know in Scotland, what they've told us is just even having the legislation on the statute books, they mightn't have to invoke it with the, the police, but actually to say to the person, you know, if you don't cooperate, you know, that, that we're going to have another conversation. We want to work with you. We want to work with you and your daddy, your mom, your sister. But we might be having a different conversation if you continue to not let me in the door because we want to make things better. Your, your mum's life to, to be better. But, you know, you know, the, 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 so, you know, it can be really, really challenging for us. Um, and, you know, like, because Irish laws are slow to reform. I mean, we're seeing that with assisted decision making. We're only seeing the commencement of it next June. So there's a huge need. We're often behind the, 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 the track a little bit. Now, we've seen some of the, the justice legislation improve, and as I said, the domestic violence legislation has improved, coercive legislation, but the social care legislation, it hasn't, has, you know, we, we do need to see that and improve it. But uh, yeah, it can, it can be challenging, um, you know, with, with uh, uh, even just to try and get to the person. Sometimes, you know. And just, I mean, I suppose for, for those who, who may not know it, like the assistant decision or the assistant decision making legislation, that's been on the books since 2015. It's difficult it is to get things to move. And I, you know, I was talking earlier about when childcare, I think the 1991 Childcare Act was on the books for six years before it was adequately commenced. So we have, we have a major piece of human rights led. Uh, very progressive legislation, not, not not easy to implement. It is complex, by the way. You know, there's there's a lot to it, but it's absolutely the right thing to do, and it's a human rights obligation to do it anyway. And um, but it's been there since 2015, and here we are facing into next year, 2022. Now we've seen the minister say, yes, the enabling legislation is going to happen. We're going to see full commencement, and the decision support service has been set up. You know, and and to support people to support their assisted decision-making is huge. I mean, uh, the wards of court would know it. It's, it's a very uh, not human rights-based. It's based on Victorian 1871 legislation, and it's not the right type of legislation. We've been involved in some of those cases where somebody had to, you know, we had to intervene. The situation was so bad, there was no other option. And it's not the right type of legislation. It's not, you know, it's not the you know, right time, right place, Pacific, um, you know, and it, it, it's so we, we were very much welcome it. Uh, but as I say, change comes slow sometimes in Ireland. Uh, uh, you know, uh, like we, you know, we had a big financial crash and we implemented all sorts of changes and we had a climate, you know, emergence. And all these things are right and proper, but we actually need to be as, as determined on the social care side and the health sector side. And it is much wider than health. And this is why the finance sector and the justice sector, and indeed the community sector. I mean, when our office get communi communications from sporting organisations, church bodies, uh, a range of services, really wanting to do the right thing and and, and have, and then I say to them, actually, we're, 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 we're a health policy, but I will help you, you know, with, yeah. I don't mind. I mean, cultural organisations, 
um, universities, and, and which is great because they're starting to have the conversations in their organizations saying, what do we need to do to ensure that people have right to, you know, come out and be part of society and full integration? But it, by, by that happening, we need to ensure that if something was, we've got good prevention and if something does go wrong, we've a, we've a policy there. But um, then you say to them, actually, we're a health service led, but, you know, we'll, we'll advise you on, you know, I met the, ter- the third level institutions. I met the sports council. I think I've probably met four or five of, we've been engaged with four or five of the archdiocese and they've been developing, um, or the diocese have been developing safe, adult safeguard, which is really, really encouraging to see because they weren't obliged to do this, unlike child protection, which they were obliged to do. Uh, and it's really, really positive to see that. It's just that there's no um, uh, legislative basis, but I think it's good and good that, that, that which shows that, that the message is getting out there across, uh, you know, uh, uh, cultural bodies, educational bodies, community bodies. We did, we did a range of seminars there last year online with Mainton Atira, the community development. So fantastic. I mean, really, and they did it jointly with, with their local community guards. And that's really where getting down into parishes and local communities having the conversation about safeguarding and uh, we did a lot of webinars really good you know there so it's, it's it's networking with those organizations as well but so i think there's a lot of goodwill towards this now um it's just seeing some of the other bits and you know like resources will always be needed like you know we, every year we look for more more staff more resources and into the estimates and the service planning process but that, that that's a never-ending um never-ending debate so uh and you mentioned, I suppose, that the so we've talked about the adult, um, the sorry, the assisted decision making yeah. uh, legislation, and you know we, we've talked about the need to put safeguarding on a, a statutory footing. Um, there's also talk, you know, that there was a loneliness task force there a couple of years ago, and when you were talking about, you know, people get bored in in settings, and you know, you, particularly men who might feel that they they need to to buy a bit of friendship or to, yeah. you know, it's a you know, that's a very crude way of putting it, but that they feel that they're they, this fella now, if I buy him a pint, he'll sit with me, um, you know, and I'll have that hour just to have a chat or to just have the company. Um, I suppose what, you know, what else can be done? And really, if everything was done, bearing in mind that we know that, you know, there will be people who come to you or who come to their social worker and will say, oh, listen, you know, um, like who light me fire or who'll do me shopping? Um, like will it make the difference it needs to make if all that legislation and all that policy gets put into place? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a bit like the, the debate we have in the health services about continuous improvement. It's an, it's never ending. I mean, and, and, and rightly so. I mean, um, progressive change should never stop. Uh, so, w- w- you know, be it, be it progressive legislation, be it cultural change in society. There, so like I mentioned earlier about um, online abuse and um, you know uh, exploitation where people have been brought in and, and, and trafficked into the country. These were things would never have been. And when I trained as a social worker, I never, you know, and it wasn't, the internet wasn't there. But so uh, it can take new formats. Human behavior, unfortunately, there's, there's, there is an element of, of like, the vast majority of people behave appropriately. The vast majority of people are kind and generous. But unfortunately, there is situations in human nature and human society where exploitation happens and others are more vulnerable than others. So that and it'll take different formats. So my point is that legislation is not an endpoint. The change in societal values and culture is not an endpoint. It is it is continual. Um, so yes, I think we know from some of the evidence internationally, from what particularly we talked to the people in Scotland where they've got uh, safeguarding legislation, they said it has made a difference, it's made a more confident workforce, um, you know, more able to progress. And when they've talked to their the, the, the clients, the service users, the citizens, the, 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 the feedback is, is quite positive there. So, you know, the legislation will make a difference. It's not an end point. Like assisted decision making would be fantastic because it'll modernize and have a human rights based approach to supporting people who need decision making. But again, it's not 
an endpoint. And, and, you know, we will always be confronted. I mean, I, I'd love if my job was eliminated in the morning and they offered me a redundancy package, but but it should be what we should be striving for. Like, you know, that, that, that we, 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 unfortunately in society, uh, 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 people, you know, I often said, when it was, people said to me about, um, you know, your job, you know, it's just, well, you know, it's like, it's an inc- uncomfortable space, you know, like, you know, people have been hurt and harmed or abused or people are unhappy. And I mean, when, you know, we get a lot of calls into our office, people are angry, they were trying to get through to someone, they were upset and all that, but that's, that's life, that's society, you know, that, that's all, you know, you know, you know, I, a patient advocacy organization is very angry and, and, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's coming from a place of, 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 of user experience is coming from a place of, you know, lived experience of things that weren't, they didn't experience right or if someone close to them didn't experience right. So I think it's really important that we're always learning. And every, be it, be it an institutional abuse or family abuse or something happens in the community, it can take new forms. Um, and But I always come back to what, what would be the best building blocks for prevention. And and you know we know those. I mean, one of them is is is, is, is simple, but it's 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 complex to do it right. It's interagency working, uh, and and you know we've seen this in adult protection and child protection. When organisations work well together, be it sharing information, understanding each other's roles, and working for the person. So rather than you know this idea of the silo mentality, of, I'm in the health service, well, my job is about this. I'm in the justice, and my job is about this. Or I'm in the community sector, and my job is this. And so, you know, thinking beyond that, you know, you know, I always say in my staff, I need to think like a public servant, you know, but here to serve the public. So what is it around we can work? Like, so we know that, we know interagency working. We know that, user engagement and user empowerment. So what I mean by that is, and we did a webinar last week where Durham McDonough spoke from Inclusion Ireland, giving people the words, the language in the way that they understand and they communicate. Uh, and there's been lots of studies on around user engagement that, you know, be it, be it, be it um, sign language, law, Macintosh, whatever, that, 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 that I'm always, when I go into residential centres, I love to see the picture up on the wall of the designated officer. So the person who mightn't be able to read can visually see the person. That's the person I call Jim or Mary or Bill. If I'm worried about something, that's the person I go to. And I see them with little cards that they carry around with them. So that's, that, that's, that's the person I talk to. So, um, you know, user engagement, uh, uh, um, empowering people themselves, uh, interagency working. They've been proven. They, the evidence base is, is there. Um, you know, I, I said there are complexities around the, the legislative ba- basis that we, 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 we work with. We, we've had many challenges around data sharing and all of that. And we're trying to work our way, way through that. But, you know, there's no end point, um, Colette. It's it's continual. Um, and, and the nature of abuse, like abuse, it can take it'll take new forms, but it'll, it'll still come back to someone abusing a position of trust or an organization working not for the person or working. How is, how is it working? Is it is it person centered or is it service centered or organizational centered or or, or 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 how we value people in the community? I mean, I think you know, like people live in socially valued lives. You know, I've I've certainly been heartened to see. I I work in a building uh, that was a psychiatric hospital, and I came to work there. I saw people wandering up and down the corridors and, you know, the way they were medicated, the way they were awful. And I see some of those people walking up and down O'Connell Street in Limerick today and they look happier, they look fresher, they look, you know, their lives have improved because they're not in a horrible old Victorian building walking up and down aimlessly up and down a corridor all day or wandering around the campus ground. So, you know, we knew, we know things, some things are the right, I mentioned that about decongregation, some things are absolutely the right thing to do. Ch- challenging even though they are, you know, they're, they're, they're isn't easy. Yeah. I mean, the decongregation of psychiatric care didn't happen, uh, didn't happen overnight, you know. <laughs> there was a lot of battles along the way there. But um, so we know some things are absolutely the right 
thing to do when we have the evidence base. Others are open a bit, like I said, about the managed reporting. There is a lot of debate about that and a lot of we need to look at the international research and the international experience around that. So there isn't, you know, one shoe fits all approach. But yeah, it's continual. It, 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 it'll take new forms. Um, as I said, we've noticed a lot of abuse, move, not a lot, but, but abuse moving online. It's, 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 you know, for older people, for adults with intellectual disability, for people with mental health issues, that, that wouldn't have been part of our training and, and, you know, a lot more working with the Gardaí now and other, you know, even, you know, service providers have to get uh, uh, these people who run internet service, you know, uh, uh, much more vigilant around it. And uh, so, so that'll be a whole area for us, um, you know, uh, 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 that we need to kind of to look at. And as I said, um, people brought in from abroad and, and, and trafficked in. You know that was an area that that horrible horrible area, but that's you know the impact of people and their lives and and and, and what I say. so so yeah it's 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 never ending Colette. it's it's can take new forms uh, but the, the the fundamental about the exploitation and the abuse of trust and power it does come back to that uh, ultimately. Yeah. And Tim, tell me something good. Um, on Friday the nineteenth. There yeah. was, of November, there was the first National Safeguarding Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a day for raising awareness of all of the things that you're talking about and to get people thinking about it and talking about it and, and looking out for it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, on top of that, what are the practical things? So you've talked about, say, NGOs getting in touch with you and different archdioceses getting in touch with you. And it's really, really positive that people are... are open to this that they are aware of it that you know that the work that you're doing is actually getting the results that people are coming to you what are the very practical things that yeah, organizations think, yeah. and people I, can do yeah yeah i think if i look at it from the point of view of a family member or a community um it's it's open your eyes it's um we we were saying there about no excuse for elder abuse but actually it's about being aware of and, and a bit about having conversations and, you know, talking among, is, is that okay? You know, and, and being aware then of, of who to talk to. Could be a healthcare professional, could be public health, could be GP. We, 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 we can put up on, on your website our contact numbers uh, and uh, all of that. So, you know, and the thing I would say to people is sometimes people phone us just for advice. And we get over a thousand calls a year into the safeguarding teams. People don't, sometimes may not go forward a bit like children first. They, you know, they might just call, like, I'm really worried about something. I'm really worried about my mom. I'm worried about my brother. I'm worried about something I've seen. And then they decide to report it. But sometimes they say, okay, I'm going to go and think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm talking through. And, and professionals do that as well. So, so contact the safeguarding team. Have a conversation with a healthcare professional. But also open your eyes to... You know, sometimes it's an uncomfortable thing to see. You might, and, and the thing is, sometimes when you have the conversations, you might reassure yourself, actually, no, it's just something that's, you know, it's not abuse. I don't believe it's abusive, but it's something that we need to keep an eye on. And we as a family need to be more mindful of. And we just, maybe something here that could become neglect and that could become exploitative. And if you sometimes have the conversation early enough, then you could maybe say, okay, you know, you know, mom's, mom's pension, she wouldn't want you know, people dipping into our purse or, you know, this is not what she would have wanted or dad wouldn't have liked that. Or, you know, just watching out that, you know, the, 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 when the shopping is done, I see you might be taking some, you know, you know, actually that's, he's still his pension money. And, and uh, or, so it, sometimes it's having those conversations and, and actually can set a little bit of a boundary if somebody's overstepping the boundary. And then maybe if you've really worried and actually, no, I do need to talk, uh, you know, as I said, public health nurse, GP, healthcare professional, come and talk to us in the safeguarding team. And then my person might decide, no, no, I do actually need to report this. But there is a bit before that as well about just even just opening your eyes, being aware. I obviously do plan ahead. We, we can Actually, one thing we can all do is actually plan ahead for our own self. What would I want? What would I want if, if I lost decision-making capacity? Who would I want in my family to make decisions for me? Who would I not want <laughs> to make decisions for me? Uh, what kind of decisions would I want? You know, like, you know, would I want to be in a nursing home? Would I want to be cared for at home? You know, how would I want my money to be administered? And You know, all of that. And, 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 and you know, really think ahead and plan it. It's kind of uncomfortable stuff we don't talk about in Ireland. I, I, I notice in other European countries are a little bit more open about this. So um, 
That'd be my kind of practical. At an organizational level, then, I think it's about good leadership and good governance. And it's about, you know, keeping it on the agenda. If you're an organization, is this, is, do, you, do you have a, a we thing, well, safeguard only, safeguard, do you have a safeguarding charter? Do we need a safeguarding policy? Should it be on our agenda? You know, you know. Obviously, if you're one of our funded agencies, you're required under service agreement, and they, you know, all, but you might be a small community organization, you might be a large community organization. You know, you know, and and, and keeping it keep not just the one day a year that we have elder national world elder abuse awareness day or national adult safeguarding day. Keep keep it on, you know, keep it on the agenda. And keep keep the conversation going and uh, see what you can do and and how the other bit about what Devlin was saying see what you can do better to support people see what you can do better like to enable their communication and and there was a wonderful book there recently published um, about assistant decision making uh, personal and professional reflections and um, I encourage everyone to read it it's I think it's published by UCD and. Uh, the um, human rights uh, section in, uh, in the HC, but it was a really good article written by um, Jerry Maley, I think, down in, in Waterford, works with um, user engagement and mental health. And he talked, even people who have very restricted communication ability with the right systems and the right supports and the right professional, we can always find a way. I, I, was, I was talking to a social care worker recently that told me, that she was with a patient in hospital and she knew by the flicking of her eyelids whether she wanted something or she was happy or she was anxious about her leaving the room. She was nonverbal, she couldn't speak, uh, um, but she communicated by flicking her eyes, just to flick. And, and that was took time, it took ability to tune into it, but she knew that it was okay to leave the room or get her something or, 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 or was she anxious. So there's always some way of, if, if we, you know, if you work in an organization of, of kind of support, you know, so there's a personal bit you can do, there's an organizational bit we can, and we should strive for good standards, you know, good, good, good governance standards and organizations that, you know, and what we know, and, and HICWA have been very strong on this, and they've published in their inspection reports now over many, many years to say organizations that have good, not just good HR and finance functions, but good leadership and good governance also have good safeguarding. And, um, you know, so it's about believing it, understanding it, you know, values in action. What are my values? And you know, they're based on, you know, human rights informed and about, about the person, you know, it's like my point about, you know, the, n- never seeing the person as the problem, seeing the problem as the problem, you know, like, oh, Mary's, oh, she's always wanting, oh, God, I've got to go down and take her to the kitchen again. And so you've seen the person rather than seeing, well, actually, you know, that's how she communicates. That's that's just the nature of her life. And, and uh, you know, I have to be patient and trying my best to be patient, even though it's the 14th time today, I've you know. But, you know, so it's about wearing those and understanding those values and keeping those in, in an organisation at, at the centre. Um, and, you know, so, so there's, there, there's lots we can do. Um, but say, to come back to your friend, um, November 19th was really important. It was the first... Irish Adult Safeguarding Day. And it was an opportunity for, you know, across governmental departments, HSC, NGOs, community professional bodies. You know, it was it just shows you the goodwill that's there. I mean, obviously, people have different perspectives as well about what should be done and how quickly and change and all that. But it, the, the, what we united people was the importance of adult safeguarding and how critical it was. And, and it was great to see, actually. It was very reassuring, because sometimes you think, are we, are we making a difference? And it was great to see the, 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 the kind of, uh, 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 my, my daughter told me that at one stage we were, uh, someone in my family said we were we were trending at number two, uh, adult safeguarding day. So well done to Safeguarding Ireland. <laughs> Bobby Dell's launch of her, her more recent ah. album. So it just, it just oh, well, shows me that. It just shows you, there you go. And um, yeah. it just shows when organizations, uh, I think, uh, you know, that was on the social media front. My, my point about what we did with, with Winton and Tira, it's also getting into communities and, and organizations and parishes right on, on, on the ground level. So, uh, like, we can do our little bit here in, in the HSC, but, you know, with, 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 you know with, with, with social justice campaigners like yourself and, and, and people who, who, who lobby for change, they have a role, you know, they have a role to, you know, something could be to hold to hold us to account, to hold the state to account, government to account, you know, to say, you know, are we doing enough? And uh, that's, that's, as I said, you know, it can be challenging at time with patient advocacy, but that's fair, you know, they should, 
you should question and, and, and look at ours and say, could, could, could we do better? So, yeah, it was a, it was a really good day. And uh, yeah, but it's more than a day. It needs to be a continual message and it needs to be repeated and it needs to keep going. And um, I hope it will. I mean, I hope it, 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 it is. Um, it keeps us on the agenda. That's it, Colette. Thank you very, very much. I could talk to you all day, Tim. It's been uh-huh. really, really fascinating um, to, to listen to all of that. And hopefully uh, we will have you back on the podcast um, because sure. I'm sure More there's going to be plenty to do yeah. in the next year. So thank you so much again, Tim. Yeah. And thanks to you to Social Justice Ireland for, for um, highlighting and campaigning on this issue. It's great to see that. So well done in your work. <laughs> thank you so much. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any concerns about safeguarding for yourself or for a loved one, you can contact the National Safeguarding Office, which is based in Limerick, at safeguarding.socialcare.hse.ie or by calling 061-461-358. Details of the safeguarding and protection teams at a regional basis are available on the website safeguardingireland.org. Org. That's safeguardingireland.org. And if you click on reporting, you'll find out a lot more detail there. For more information on the work of Social Justice Ireland, do have a look at our website, socialjustice.ie. And as per usual, if you have any observations or comments or questions or even any suggestions for future podcasts, do get in touch with us at so- secretary at socialjustice.ie. Until next time, stay safe.